Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Recorded live. Hey, it's Mike Adams again, and it's nothing but the truth. My journey to find it, along with uh, my co-pilots today, Andrew. How are you doing, Andrew? <laughs> uh, it's uh, December the 6th, allegedly 2016. And uh, we're going to read a couple of things before we get into the uh, critique of our, you know, the the Bible here. Um, first of all, history today. Um, so who did discover America? This is a last year article, about a year ago, I believe. December, issued 12 December, oh, it was 2013, okay. Uh, history Today, volume 63, issue 12. December 13th, that's what it is, okay. Abdul Rehan al-Baruni, an Islamic scholar from Central Asia, may have discovered a new world centuries before Columbus without leaving his studies. For more than a century, an army of scholars and enthusiasts and outright eccentrics has delved into the question of who discovered America. Some of the claims are truly exotic with fanciful reportage on ancient Phoenicians in Rhode Island or Chinese from the Middle Kingdom in the Bay Area. Back in 1950s, a colorful Norwegian uh, ethnographer an adventurer, Thor Heyerdahl, I guess it's Heyerdahl, contended that Peruvians in sailboats made of basalt wood were commuting back and forth between the Americas and Polynesia centuries before Columbus set sail. Leaving aside patently absurd theories, there are a number of serious claimants for the title. First comes uh, Zoan Caboto. I guess that's how she pronounced it. Zoan Caboto. Uh, 1450-1499 Venetian navigator explorer. His claim turns on the fact that Columbus did not reach the American mainland until 1498, while he touched North American shores a full year earlier. That he had set sail from England caused him to be remembered in the Anglophone world as John Cabot and shifting bragging rights from 
Venice to the okay, is what this is Skeprid Isle. Never heard of this before. This is S C E P T R E D. Skeptrid Isle. Or Isles. Isle. Anyways, then it turned out that well Cabot found investors in Brazil in Bristol and received a patent from Henry VII, his principal financial backer, was an Italian banking house in London. The laurels shift back to Italy. Discoveries and doubts. In 1966, an English scholar, Alwyn Ruddock, discovered a letter in 1492 Eight written to Columbus by an English merchant named John Day. In it, Day asserted that it was considered certain that North America mainland, which Cobot or Cabot, excuse me, had visited the previous year, had been found and discovered in the past by seamen from ports of Bristol, which happened to be. Product's hometown. Product unearthed more papers suggesting that these pioneering Englishmen had reached the Americas as early as 1470. Unfortunately, Product ordered all these papers to be destroyed at her death. And I don't understand that one. In 2005? Okay. Just as it seemed that the prize was about to head north again. Fresh doubt set in. Amid the ping-pong match, Francisco Gadi Brascoli, the Italian historian who had discovered information on Cobbett's, or Cabot's Italian backers, came across a yellow parchment map with the intriguing notation suggesting that Cabot may have been dispatched to confirm a discovery made many years earlier. Written in Italian, it states that Giovanni Cabotti, or Cabot, from Venice, had been commissioned to sail to the new land that the reference to new land was preceded in Italian by the definite article I-L, L, rather than the indefinite un, U-N, suggested that Gadetti Brascoli, that Cabot's sponsors already knew of the Americas thanks to reports by an earlier explorer. Cabot was simply verifying what was already known. Meanwhile, scholars from Scandinavia have examined the Norse sagas for evidence that their forebearers had sailed to North American shores before the English and the Italians. The story of Vikings plowing the waves in their narrow-hauled boats to explore and settle Greenland is by 
now well known and confirmed by archaeological finds along Greenland's southwest coast. At the beginning of the 20th century, Professor Gustav Storm of the University of Christine, Christiania, Christiania in Oslo produced evidence that the Norsemen had made several trips to within sight of the Canadian coast, identifying and naming Markland, Southern Labrador, Hello Land, which is Baffin Island, and Vinland, which is thought to be Nova Scotia. Norse sagas. Among the adventures, Leif Erikson, 970 to 1020, the son of Eric the Red, of 950 to 1003, who had discovered Greenland, entered the history books for his sighting of Finland in about 1000 AD. True, one saga from 1387 states that the center Bajarni, son of Herjolf, had beaten Leif to Vinland, having been blown off course, sighted land there in the early as early as 985 to 986 A.D., but no further support for the uh, Benjarni claim has turned up. Just what is meant then by the Norse discovery of North America? Leif Erikson was a Christian missionary who had been sent to Greenland by King Olaf I of Norway in 995 to 1000 AD. And this also would coincide with the same period of time, you know, the on the same period of time if we look at uh, Emma Scott's, you know, the, the the Phantom Dark Ages from about 615 to 911 or a little later. There's no archaeology, there's no archaeological findings for that 300-year period throughout the Mediterranean to North Africa <clears throat> in the connection with the invasion of uh, the Mohammedists and the wars that were going on between what we might know as the Crusades or the invasion of the hordes of the South, the Mohammedists in Western Europe. Then there is a definitely a tie between these two things. Um, yeah, back to where I was at now. In order to, to bring the faith to settlements there, on the return voyage, his boat was blown so far south that he was brought within view of Nova Scotia. The authors of, the authors of Norse sagas, amazed that he survived this adventure, dubbed him Leif the Lucky. Except for Erikson, most of the other Norsemen who made contact with North America were traders by profession and had their commercial interests far fared better excuse me, interest fared better, they might have given 
the cotton at a second look, but they didn't. Their one serious venture onto North America territory resulted in a fight with Native Americans, after which they quickly fled to their boats. The southernmost confirmed evidence of Vikings in the New World was discovered in 1960 at the Annie's Ox Meadows on the north tip of Newfoundland. From the sod house and primitive artifacts that archaeologists excavated at the Annie's Ox Meadows, I don't know if I pronounced that right, I apologize if I did not, and in Greenland, these Norse traders merged as hardy adventurers as to their explorations they were carried out in a thoroughly ad hoc way usually the result of accident or unfavorable winds at their most deliberate the vikings strove each time to sail a little further down the coastline than the than their immediate predecessors either way when they returned to Greenland, Iceland, and Norway, they told their tales of wide-eyed listeners huddled around log fires. It's not of two wide-eyed listeners huddled around log fires. There's no evidence that any of the Viking leaders who headed towards North America were literate. It took another three generations before Adam of Berman in 1050 and 1081 slash or 1000 it could be 1085 whatever that we passed away in North Germany wrote the Gusta Ecclesia Pontificum a chronicle which included the stories which he had heard concerning the adventures of Leif the Lucky Adam and other chronicles, chroniclers, and authors of the sagas offered their reports in a stolid and matter-of-fact way, with no indication that they had any idea of the implications of these remarkable travels. At around the same time that the Vikings were venturing south and westwards from their bases in Greenland, a very different process of discovery was taking place in landlocked territories, many months' journey from the nearest open saltwater. Beginning more than 3,000 years ago, traders from the great urban centers of what now is Uzbekistan and Turkmenistan and Afghanistan had sent goods across Eurasia from Europe to India and to China. They moved their cargo in long camel caravans, which carried the equivalent of a dozen or more modern freight containers, gold and silver coins minted in their cities were honored as currency as far afield as Sri Lanka and England. Vikings, among others, collected hordes of these beautiful crafted coins because they knew they would 
be accepted widely. Once back home in Central Asian traders now only told their tales around neatly built hearths and solid multi-story palaces, but wrote down detailed information on the geography and climates of the lands they had visited. Local scholars collected and analyzed these reports. Now, isn't it interesting where uh, the New World Order, the UN are over there right now, destroying everything? (laughs) It's like they want to erase our history. Human history, that is, part of this. It's part of the agenda, more so than even probably the oil. The the allegations that there's more oil in North America than there is over there. I don't know if this is true or not, of course, but that's what the allegations are. A curious mind. The greatest of these scholars was Abdul Rehan al-Baruni, born in 973 near the Sea in what is now Uzbekistan. While still a youth, Maruni mastered mathematics and astronomy and mineralogy and geog- geography and cartography and geometry and trigonometry. He spoke Persian, Arabic, and Khwarazmian. I don't know how you pronounce that. I'll just spell it out. K-H-W-A-R-A-Z-M-I-A-N. The language of the Sunni dynasty that ruled great, the greater Iran between the 12th and 13th centuries. Later on, his, on him, later on, he also studied Sanskrit. Sanskrit, excuse me. While still a young man. Maruni had calculated the latitude and longitude of his hometown and had begun to collect similar coordinates of other places. Using ancient Greek sources, he compiled data on hundreds of locales in the Mediterranean world and then began adding calculations on other locations from all points of the compass. From ancient writers like Claudius Ptolemy in 150 BC, from more recent sources and from his own field observations, he knew the Earth. Uh, he knew the Earth is. He knew that the Earth is round. That doesn't make any sense. He knew that the Earth is round. So, yeah. <clears throat> I doubt that one. Round is a circle, maybe, but not as a ball. By the time he was 30, Baruni was employing the most advanced systems of day to calculate its precise circumferences. In a pioneering effort not much, not matched until the Renaissance, he constructed a globe 16 feet high, showing the Earth's terrestrial features. Bernie followed the footsteps of several other scientists from Central Asia. Among them was Ashmad al-Fargani, 
from the from what is now Uzbekistan, who in the ninth century had calculated the width of one degree of longitude at the equator, from which he deduced the Earth's circumference. His calculations, though less precise than Maruni's, marked a significant improvement on those made by the ancient Greeks and assured a wide readership for his book on the subject, The Compendium of, of the Science of the Stars, and a C833, so I guess it would be 833 A.D. Five centuries later, Columbus... That doesn't make much sense. Five centuries later, Columbus came across a Latin translation of Fergoni's treatise. Besides welcoming confirmation that the Earth is round... Uh, this uh, the real uh, emphasis on this brown stuff. Yeah. Except you, navigators, uh, sailors, and maritime, mariners didn't use a round ball to operate on. <laughs> they had a circle, though. They used a circle on a plane, a circular plane. So, but anyways, five centuries later, interesting to this uh, emphasis on the groundness stuff constantly being pushed. Five centuries later, Columbus came across a Latin translation of Ferguson's treaties. Columbus used Ferguson's data to argue before skeptical potential sponsors that it was small enough for him potentially to circumnavigate. However, Columbus wrongly assumed that Fergini had presented his measurements in Roman miles rather than Arab miles. This caused him to underestimate the actual quote-unquote circumference of the earth by 25%. Well, I would say that's a huge mistake, don't you? 25%? (laughs) That's one-fourth. He is off by one-fourth. That's a huge amount. His misreading caused, or if it was deliberate, enabled Columbus to place Sinpango or Japan near the Virgin Islands. And I'm sorry, but that's even greater than 25%. I'm sorry. The math doesn't work out. doesn't work out again, the math. They always throw this stupid math at us, but it doesn't work out whenever they... How can the Virgin Islands and Japan... How can you think that Japan was near the Virgin Islands? completely the other side of the quote-unquote globe, or even the circular plane. That is greater than 25%, folks. This convenient error proved crucial in Columbus obtaining funding for what he estimated would be a relatively short voyage to China. Peruni had also delved into mineralogy specifically and relative density and weight of minerals, of all types, and how to separate minerals and interact, how separate minerals interact in nature. In the process of this research, he discovered the concept of specific gravity. Uh, 
he discovered the that's propaganda. He discovered the concept, not the theory that we still operate on. It's still a theory. You know, it's uh, dang it. You and I have never seen the ball. Just show us the ball, we'll be done with it. And the the gravity, the theory of gravity is still just that a theory. Man, but they got to keep pushing this stuff, don't they? Huh, just not how Baruni acquired his passion for precious, me- or precise measurements is a mystery. Who is a mystery? Okay, the question should be, why is it a mystery? It certainly owed something to his education, which included studying of the classical Greek scientist Pythagoras, always got to throw him in there, who had proclaimed that, quote, things are numbers, in the quote. Bruni's constant urge to qualify or quantify whatever he observed, combined with his inquiring mind, uh, was to plunge him down a path that led to uh, epochal Epical insights, which in most respects put Columbus, Cabot, and the Vikings in the shade. By 1017, Biruni had become an honored scientist at Gurganch, I don't know what that is, Gurganch, the intellectual capital of his home region in Quarz. I don't know how to pronounce it. Coercion. Once again, it's K H. Is it Quarism? I don't know. You know what? What I could do is find out how to spell it, pronounce it, instead of guessing. Let's just go find out. Instead of making it up. Coersmen. Whoever heard, whoever heard of a place called Coersmen? I didn't. Not till just today. Coersmen. What the heck is Coersmen? Dynasty. Anatolia dynasty. Coersmen dynasty. All the things you got to learn. No, no, they don't teach you anything, do they? Coersmen. The home region of Coersmen. But in that year, a fierce and religious fanatical, fanatical Muslim ruler from Ghazni in Afghanistan crushed Coersmen and destroyed its capital, Muhammad of Ghazni, as he was known was a brutal man, but like many rulers in the region, tried to surround himself with poets and learned scholars. He ordered Baruni to come to Ghazni and bring the results of his research with him. Baruni, with no way out, not only complied, but seized upon the move as an opportunity to learn more about India, which Muhammad had conquered over 
over the previous decade. But Muhammad was it was as difficult as he was ruthless. And Biruni quickly realized that he had to distance himself from his court. He removed the Lahore. Now he removed to Lahore, now Pakistan, where he penned the world's first book on comparative religion, focusing on Hinduism and Islam. Gathering his notes, no equipment other than a simple astrolabe, which is probably more accurate, especially when you're talking about a plane. The astrolabe works better on a plane than a ball. He then withdrew to a heavily fortified hilltop castle at Nandana, Medina, or something like that, not far from what is now called Istanbul, or Islamabad, Islamabad. That's what it is, Islamabad. Say it's simple, Islamabad. Uh, there's their Biruni return to the old problem of measuring the Earth's circumference. To this end, he devised a new technique which involved careful observation and spherical trinogramy on a tree, trigonometry, and the application of law of signs. And what is the law of signs? This is S-I-N-E-S. Okay. The law of signs trigonometry of triangles. The law of signs uh, provides a formula that relates to the sides of the angles of the triangle. This formula allows you to relatively easily find the side lengths and angles of any triangle. So, sine and trigonometry. I remember doing in high school and, and in college, but uh, don't remember how to do any of it now. Besides being, by the way, if, if their, their their formula for the circum, you know, this ball doesn't work. So either this man is, well, most people just don't know it. Most people won't even address it. We just assume that it's proper. But their their math doesn't work for a ball. It's probably the reason why you and I have never seen the ball. Only artist renderings and uh, something computer generated imagery. Besides being uh, far simpler than using two dis- distant points on a flat land or plane. This method produced a measurement of the Earth's circumference that was mere 10.44 miles less than the definitive modern measurements, which don't work at all. The complete failures. And you can go online and you can figure it out yourself real simply. That there might, that most people will never bother because they know that. So. After Muhammad's death, and 1030, Biruni hauled 
his field notes and papers back to Ghazni in Afghanistan, where Muhammad's son, uh, Masud I, in 1031-1040, welcomed him and helped him to settle into a quiet life of research and writing. Baruni wrote up his lifetime's research on specific gravity, which I doubt that's what he even called it. What did he actually call it? They won't give us the name of what they actually call it. They specific gravity. And then turned the writings a vast tome known as the Codex Medu, uh, Med, Mesudicus, Mesudicus, in which he summarized everything known at the time about astronomy and allied disciplines. It was the Codex Masuticus that Baruni considered the possibility that the sun is stationary and that the earth revolves around it. This is, of course, we're talking about the heliocentric model. He stopped short of fully embracing the heliocentric view, noting instead that the notion of a heliocentric universe is no less logical than its alternative and called a mathematicians, called them an astronomers, either to refute it or accept it. It is no wonder that the historians of science judge the Codex Masudicus to be the greatest work of astronomy from the period between the late antiquity and the modern era. In his Codex, Baruni also hypothesized about the existence of North and South America. Really? That's just stupid as all get out. Why would he... <laughs> I don't think he hypothesized. I think he knew about it. Baruni began to present by presenting the research on the Earth's circumference that he had carried out at Nandana. So based on the Earth's circumference, he figured that there must be a North and a South America. I doubt that very much. That escapes, that evades logic right there. He then set about fixing all known geographical locations on his new, more accurate map of the globe. He lists the longitude and latitude had grown substantially since his earliest collections. Wow, the longitude and latitude had grown substantially. Wow, I wonder how that happened and now included more than 70 sites in India alone, as well as hundreds of other locations stretching across the Eurasian landmass. When Baruni transposed these, this data onto his map of the Earth, notice it's a map of the Earth, not a globe map. They try to say it's a globe, but it's not, it was a map. He noticed at once that the entire breadth of Eurasia from the westernmost tip of Africa to the eastern shores of China spanned only two-fifths of the globe. (laughs) There will be no citations, by the way. This left three-fifths of the Earth's surface uncounted for. The world ocean. The most obvious way to explain this gap of 15,000 miles was to invoke an explanation. Of course, you had to invoke it. Kind of like the Pope invoking uh, World War III. 
invoke the explanation that all geographers from antiquities down to Verini's day had accepted the Eurasian landmass was surrounded by a world ocean. But was three-fifths of the Earth's circumference really nothing but water? Biruni considered this possibility but rejected it on the grounds of both observation and logic. And the fact that they had already... You're going to find out as... They won't touch this, but as time goes on, we're going to discover that the Muslims discovered North America a long time ago. And I'll be damned if uh, the Western world, the Western leg of the Roman Empire, and the leadership from the Vatican on down are going to admit the fact that they have been second in about everything. I would like to know what the what what the Biruni considered this possibility, but rejected the grounds of his study of specific gravity. I'd like to know what he actually basically called it, because I don't think he called it gravity. He knew that most solid minerals were heavier than water. Was well, that doesn't take much of a genius to figure that out? You know what I mean? Just go get a, a rock and throw it in, in the creek or in the lake. A quick observation there. Would, would so watery a world not give rise to serious imbalances to which the planet, which we don't live on, we don't live on a planet, would have had a adjacent, would to would had to adjust over time. And why, he asked, were the forces that had given rise to the land on the two-fifths of the Earth's belt not also have had the effect on the three-fifths as well? Biruni concluded that somewhere the vast expanses of the ocean between Europe and Asia, there must be one or more unknown land masses or continents Where these unknown continents empty wildernesses or one inhabited by human beings? Now it turns into, now we're turning it into uh, Western European propaganda and manipulating the whole story at this point. And I probably will end this article, but I think we got the point here. <clears throat> I think the most important thing is they are giving credit to some guy, Baruni, from Afghanistan. And the folks from Afghanistan had already figured out the basics of the uh, of astroplanes and uh, longitude and latitude, landlocked places, by the way, 
what does it say about the rest of the world, what was going on? Just uh, food for thought and a little something to think about as time goes on. Maybe the next recording will actually go into the uh, Muslim explorers that, that actually actually did discover um, the Muslims discovered they were first. You'll find it's, it's overwhelming. African and Muslim discovery of America before Columbus. If you look into it, you'll find out that this is the case. What does it matter? I guess it matters because, you know, it unfortunately for some reason, well, I know I... Uh, the great American experiment has been how far and how how can how, how far can you lie to your populace? Can you lie to them about everything? Can you get to them a point where they believe anything that you say is the truth? And then, of course, if it's all based on lies, you got to keep on perpetuating those lies, like something out of George Orwell's 1984. Uh huh. Yes. Atlantic Ocean made contact with people on the other side and returned in the year 889 CE. Al Masudi wrote Some people feel that the ocean is the source of all oceans and it is. There have been many strange happenings. We have reported some of them in our book, Akbar as Zaman. Adventurers have penetrated at the risk of their lives, and as some returning safely, others perishing. One such man was in a habitant of Ed Dole. Named Kush Kush. He was a young man of Cordoba who gathered a group of young men and went to the voyage to the ocean. After a long time, he returned with fabulous booty. Every Spaniard Adulusian knows his story. Yep. Well, anyways, I want to get back to some other stuff. Okay, back to uh, the next phase of this recording is Operation Chaos by May Russell. And we're talking about uh, government experimentation of LSD and um, the 60s and early 70s rock stars, pop stars. And we just got done reading a, a quote from Mick Jagger. 
and it says here, I, I'm not going to, well, I could read it again. Uh, we, we we just talked about Mike, John, and Yoko Ono, uh, Lennon, Yoko Lennon, uh, who is a self-professed witch, and apparently had lesbian relationships with uh, Hillary Clinton. I guess that's what Yoko Ono says. That's that's the claim. I don't know if it's true or not. Sounds disgusting, one way or the other. And then, of course, you've got the pervert and devil worshiper himself, Mick Jagger. He says, war stems from power, mad politicians and patriots. Some new masters plan would end all these mindless men from seats of power and replace them with real people, people of compassion, Mick Jagger, as he tries to rape your daughter. Uh, Woodstock summer of 1969 was a turning point of rock festivals. Time Magazine described this happening as one of the most significant political and sociological events of the age. One half million American youth assembled for a three-day rock concert. They were non-violent, fun-loving hippies who resembled a large following of uh, Mahatma Gandhi in India and Reverend Martin Luther King in the U.S., both strong advocates of nonviolence, both assassinated. Um, It's important to understand the kinds of drugs and agents available to stifle dissent, the mentality of people, hell-bent on changing the course of history in order to comprehend that cultures and tastes can be moved in directions according to game plans or game theory, right, and the hands of a few people. Adolf Hitler's first targets in in Nazi Germany were the gypsies and the students, LSD was a youth-oriented drug that was perfected in the laboratory. When it was combined with other chemicals and given the wide distribution necessary, all that remained were the marching orders to go to war. Number four is the battleground. You and I live in it. We live in that battleground. We didn't even know it, most of us. July of 1968, the year I was born, the FBI's counterintelligence operations attacked law-abiding American individuals and groups. The state purpose of these assaults was to disrupt large gatherings, expose and discredit the enemy, and neutralize their selected targets. Neutralization included killing the leaders, if necessary, preferably turn two opposing segments of society against each other to do the dirty work for them. Now, don't forget this is a thing about this Afghanistan and this character that we read about, or I've read about, and the fact that we're over there 
and if you think, you know, the people are talking about our major publication and that they're using this twisted scenario, and I'm sure that it has, it has, there has some to do with mind control in its own self, you know. Interesting. They talked about minerals, and that's one thing you hear all the time about Afghanistan. Why do we go to Afghanistan? Because of all the minerals, all the, the metals and minerals there that they need, supposedly. Of course, it's somebody that they can help them reinforce the globular model, which their own math doesn't work. So they better do something about their math that they want people to start buying it paying into it, attention to it, because the math is drastically long, wrong. The curvature of the Earth, once you start to really look into it, it says, you know, a drop of eight inches square per mile, blah, blah, blah. It's so wrong. It's so off. Anyways, that's for another show. Direct, uh, CIA Director Richard Helms, and of course, War National Security Advisor Henry Kissinger, the demon possessed Henry Kissinger. Oh, it's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity for a new world order. Of course, this is February 18th. 1969, and that turd maker is still in our lives. Over 40, almost over 40 years, that man's been meddling in people's lives to the cause of millions of people to suffer and die. That man must have one heck of a place waiting for him when he dies. If I was him, I wouldn't want to die either. I would have prolonged every day as long as I could. Anyways. The dumb, dumb beast, brute beast that he is, Henry Kissinger. Please give me another blood transfusion. And one of your eight-year-old boys, please. Of course, he doesn't say please. He just demands it. And if you don't give it to him, then he will. Make sure that your country is blown to smithereens and a third of your population is destroyed. Like, eh, maybe like places like East Timor. Oh, yeah. Uh, Iraq. South America, all the places there. Africa. Anyways, that their study on restless youth was extremely sensitive and would prove most embarrassing for all concerned if word got out the CIA was involved with in domestic matters. The FBI sent out a list of suggestions on how to achieve their goals. 
they can all be applied to what happened to musicians, youngsters at folk rock festivals and hippies along the highway, gathered information on their their immorality, show them as uh, screwless and depraved, screwless and depraved, called attention to their habits and living conditions, explored every possible embarrassment, sent up women and sex and breakup marriages, have members arrested on marijuana charges, investigate personal conflicts and and animosities between them, send articles to newspapers showing their depravity, Make sure those newspapers are then shown to us. If you think that the newspapers and the tabloids aren't part of the government psyops, then you're wrong again. The use of narcotics and free sex to entrap. It's a great opportunity for a new world order. I'm sorry, but Henry Kissinger is one of the biggest scumbags of all time. If there ever was a man who deserved being lynched, there he is. They use misinformation to confuse and disrupt, to get records on their bank accounts, obtain specimens of handwriting, provoke targeted groups into rivalries that may result in death, Hey, there's a good idea. You know that that the the Bloods and the Crips and the Reds and the Blues and the, the East Coast and the West Coast nonsense. Do you think you know that you know those gangsters? Do you think that they might have been exploited, propped up, encouraged to do those sorts of things? Could it possibly be that, especially when it comes to that the, the rap thing and the uh, gangster stuff, that that was a culmination of uh, all their hard work, getting them all drugged up. And now what we know is, what they're telling us now is called the Illuminati, is really the CIA and the FBI, Anati. Did you ever think of that? You ever think about the fact that nothing on television, not a single thing on television, is designed to uplift you and, and uh, educate you, empower you, help you to develop any kind of skill? Intelligence activities and rights of Americans. In quotes. Book number two, April. 26, 1976, Senate Committee Study on with Respect to Intelligence. The IRS admitted that, quote, people who attended rock concert festivals, and quote, were listened, listed among targets for investigation by its special staff. Agent Leon Levin, Levin, another Jew, said that the identical Ideological groups 
such as rock festival patrons were to be watched. San Diego police officer was penalized for throwing rocks at a concert that injured a 17-year-old girl. He, she was treated for a fractured nose and facial lacerations. John and Yoko's legal problems began when marijuana was planted in some binoculars while moving. After Mr. Schneiderman showed the British police his full suitcase of drugs during the bust with Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, and Robert Fraser, Schneiderman left town. He was never arrested. The Stones went to jail. Mick Jagger was then put on the international red list as a possible narcotic smuggler every time he went through customs. Cable Splicer 3, Martial Law Plans, set to control civil disturbances, May 1970, describes as dangerous, quote, love-in-type gatherings in the parks were, wherein large numbers of freak-out peace marchers Rock festivals where, where violence is commonplace and sex is unrestrained. And who do you think instigated that? Who promoted that? Chicago Police Chief Rockford, like the Rockford Files, overall commander during the police clashes in 1968 demonstrations, was also in charge of the police who fired a volley of shots, winning one youth in a riot at the 1970 Rock Festival in Grant Park. Lewis Tackwood, agent provocateur with the Los Angeles Police Department, exposed creep, C-R-E-E-P, capital letters, and the Republicans who were going to turn San Diego into a scene of violence during the convention in 1972. Part of the plan were to seal off and then bomb 100,000 demonstrators attending a rock concert in Fiesta Island in Mission Bay, San Diego. Employees of the CIA Langley, Virginia, Virginia headquarters don't have to stand in line to get tickets to these events. They have a top-secret ticket, ticket, Ticketron outlet for rock concert appearances. A similar top-secret Ticketron outlet is administered by the National Security Agency of Fort George Meade. The Maryland, so that is. Uh, Howard Hughes organization ordered, quote, all rock concerts prohibited in Las Vegas, end quote. Fortune, January 1969, described the movement as encompassing, quote, hippies and 
doctrinaire Leninists, anarchists, and populists, and revolutionaries whose domain in human mind and rock bands and cultural gorillas. That sounds an awful lot like age of provocateurs. Interesting, the people that I knew growing up, there were their connections who they were connected to. I almost got sucked in there. Ignorantly. I think most of us do get sucked into these things and don't realize what the heck's going on. Well, it's because you graduate from high school with a 12-year-old mind. And incapable of doing anything. And that was back in the 1980s, so I can only imagine what it's like now. They've been mastering the art of dumbing down America. All right, where was that? During the 1968 riots, Washington, D.C. group signing was outlawed by the police department. They were aware that people, quote, get high, and quote, singing together. Records of Led Zeppelin, Cat Stevens, Alice Cooper, Simon and Garfunkel, Jethro Tull, and others were burned at a Hollywood Christian Academy in Hollywood, Florida. Rock music was described as being, quote, of the devil, having no place in a Christian's life, end of quote. The rock group Black Cat won a $570,000 slander suit against a minister in Arkansas. Their concert had been prevented, claiming they were a, quote, mongrel group of satanic or of satanic origin. We've got to be very careful, Christians, that who you're listening to and at first glance, it seems like they're really telling you the truth. And I've been sucked into this as well. Only to find out later that the people calling somebody a Satanist were actually the Satanists. Or we're just, being, just claiming to be Christians for the money. If you're a profiteer, if you're someone who's looking for a way to make a buck, start a Christian. Start a uh, 501c3... Uh, Christian church and some good marketing and a few years you could be living in a big house like Pastor Andy of uh, McCord Road Community Christian Church there in Sylvania given the opportunity and privilege to go to his house and what a big house for a man who's just a pastor of a Evangelical church. Mind you, he did go to an Ivy League school. Privileged background to begin with. Not that I have anything against that. Well, I do have something against somebody who says they claim to be representing God and have the biggest house there ever was. 
and while people are losing their jobs and can't feed themselves and their family, you call yourself a man of God. Well, the only God that I can imagine that that would appeal to would be Lucifer. I got a hunch that a lot of Luciferians, self-centered men and women, are the ones running Christianity in America today. Anyways, following the slaying of two Americans in South Korea in August, the government issued tighter controls on long hair and decadent music. Korea was, has a list of 260 decadent rock folk and protest songs. Among them is I Shot the Sheriff and We Shall Overcome. A survey of Quebec policemen showed that most of them were hostile to hippies, beatniks, that they were they are towards as they are towards chrismals. I remember growing up listening to those two dreadful songs over and over again. Oh, I bet you anything that the government was involved in both of the production and publishing of both those songs. Art Linkletter, a television personality, told a congressional committee investigating drug abuse that the Beatles were the leading advocates uh, on, of an acid society. This is an example of turning one hostile group, group towards an, against another. There is ever every reason to believe that the LSD that caused Dr. Frank Olson and Diana Linkletter to leap from buildings to their death could be manufactured from the same laboratories, the government, by the way. With justified anger, Lent Letter became mouthpiece. Meanwhile, the so-called straight society, Link Letter, was defending, spent 16 years and millions of dollars perfecting LSD into an operational weapon. The Los Angeles police arrested 511 persons attending the Pink Floyd concert. There were no mass riots, or excuse me, at Elton John's performance in that same city around the same time. That's because Elton John was one of the, was one of the uh, part of the pedophile sodomite elites. Some peep, somebody is selecting their targets because there is plenty of grass at, at, because there was plenty of grass at Elton's concert. Peace pills, in quotes, were distributed at the Santa Clara Fairgrounds for a folk rock festival. Youngsters were hospitalized. A strange drug was handed out freely and poured into drinks. Thank you, government. All of those, and this, you know, we look at the spraying of us, they're like cockroaches that they're geoengineering. You think it's in the, the poisoning of vaccines and our food, you think that it's beyond them? 
I bet you they have little crap festivals and they poop in your meat and your food and you end up eating it. By the time we have a pizza, a piece of pizza or pasta, their crap is in it. And they're laughing all the way. By the way, you can read about stuff like that in the Old Testament. About God making sure that his people would eat dung. Their own feces or their own urine. Rather disturbing, don't you think? That this this book that has educated most of us, one way or the other, knowing God is full of such horrendous things. All right, false so this piece of rest one hundred plus five hundred person. Okay, uh, peace pills. All those who took the drug were treated, but sent home without any knowledge of the psychological damage. I, I, had, I can remember them doing certain things to me as a kid, too, and I swear. This pill will bla- was blamed for the death of Mr. Lloyd Dodd, the Let Lottery, wife of as Mrs. Lloyd Dodd, the Lottery. Wife of beatnik priest Mr. D. Lottery's heart bursts under the stimulation of the drug. Under its influence, she tore out her hair and drew herself and threw herself on the floor. You think that's still going on? I wonder half the things that we think this woman being demon possessed is actually just being drugged. The man had jumped on the musician's platform and announced they had 4,000 pills to hand out. The pills caused marked disorientation as to time and space, inability to sustain direct thought, and presence of a trance-like state. This kind of scene was so common that large groups were discouraged from performing in the manner they had before these assaults took place. The irreplaceable loss of lives and talent has been noticed by persons sensitive to the rock folk music. Can't bring them back to life. We might take time to examine their deaths if only to stop a still going on attack upon certain artists and musicians. Some of my some of my information on the details of these deaths is incomplete. The circumstances around them cause me to ask some hard questions. John Carpenter, forty five. So when we get back to this we'll talk looking at the list of some of the people that uh died mysteriously. God bless America, the home of the brave and the free. I guess you're free to poison and drug other people that you don't know. When the government says so, it's it's okay for you to uh, do false flags and to do stage defense and active shooter uh, plays, like what happened in. Ohio State, 
University again. I'm trying to figure out what their game plan is. Are they trying to, to, to totally disencourage us to the point that when they uh, send in the Chinese or whoever, we'll just sit there and just let them do it because we just won't have any desire to defend our quote-unquote country? At what point of the demoralization must they take it? You know, no one likes... Henry Kissinger, why do we have to keep looking at his ugly mug? They know that we don't like him. The average person cannot stand Henry Kissinger. Yet he's constantly, one way or the other, thrown in our faces. What do you think that is? You think that is because he's so brilliant and and, um, and um, such an important element, such a such a absolutely vital human human being on their allegedly globe. Not that I'm a fan of Karl Marx because he's one of them, but we'll read once again his quotes so that we can maybe remember what the quote really was. Karl Marx translated as uh, his quote, full quote, Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of the heartless world, the soul of soulless conditions. It is the opium for the people. Marx's contribution to the critique of Hegel's philosophy of fright. Uh, for 1944, what an interesting article that would be. A lot of things going on in that year, 1980, 1944. Especially in our neck of the woods. Biblical errancy. Messianic prophecies. Christian apologists claim only one man in history, Jesus, fulfills the Old Testament prophecies with respect to the Messiahship. For their perspective, excuse me, from their perspective, he and he only meets all the requirements one must fulfill in order to truly, in order to be the prophesied Savior of mankind. But do the facts confirm this claim? Can Jesus truly allege he uh, can Jesus truly allege he is the Messiah outlined in the Old Testament? This question can be best answered by analyzing those prophecies which appear to provide the strongest support for such an assertion. Among those often discussed none are more relevant to this issue than the prophecies of Isaiah 7 and Micah 5 and Isaiah 53. If these couldn't withstand critical analysis, if they aren't applicable to Jesus, then what prophecies are? Since each is specific, detailed, and rather lengthy, they will be discussed 
in this and subsequent issues of Bible Errancy. Micah 5, chapter 5 of Micah. I'm disgusted by the leadership of the Christian church. They have betrayed us and keep on portraying us as Americans and as North Americans and as human beings on this planet. I'm disgusted by them. You think I'm going to sit by and not say something about it? That I wasn't going to wake up to my delusion? Micah 5, the fifth chapter of Micah, is one of the most quoted sections in the entire Old Testament. Marks the fine place to begin an analysis of Messianic prophecy. Although touted as a fountain of truth prediction, it's difficult to see its applicability to Jesus. Micah 5, 2, for example, says, quote, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, Ephrata, though thou art little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler of Israel. End of quote. The apologists smile with glee over the fact that the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem appears to have been predicted hundreds of years before the event. But if they had read elsewhere, they would have seen that Bethlehem was the name of a man whose father was Ephrata, or Ephrata. 1 Chronicles 4, 4 says, These are the sons of her. Firstborn was Ephrata, Ephrata, the father of Bethlehem. 1 Chronicles 2.50 also shows that Bethlehem was, the na- was a man descended from Ephrata. Ephrata. And since e- neither Bethlehem nor Ephrata, or Ephrati, it's not Ephrati, it's really Ephrata, appears in the genealogy, once again, since neither one, Bethlehem nor Ephrata, appears in the genealogy of Matthew 1 or Luke 3, they could not be ancestors of Jesus. Jesus could not be a, the ruler referred to. Bethlehem refers to the name of both a man and a town. Another problem with Micah 5.2 lies in the fact that thousands of children have been born in Bethlehem, but that doesn't give each of them the right to to claim to be the Messiah. Thirdly, Jesus was by no means a ruler of Israel. Quite the contrary, the people ruled over him, as it is shown by his death. And Micah 2, 5, or 5, 2, excuse me, continues with, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting, KJV. Everlasting is not a correct translation from the Hebrew. The Hebrew word actually signifies time long past, as in Amos 
9-11, Isaiah 63-9, Malachi 3-4, and Deuteronomy 32-7. No Jewish Old Testament writer ever taught that the Messiah was divine and his birthplace was eternity. The literal translation from the Hebrew is, quote, from the days of birthplace was eternity. Once again, from the days of birthplace was eternity. The literal translation from Hebrew is from the days of ancient time. Not only the Jewish Masoretic texts, but several Christian versions, the RSV and the NIV say, from ancient days. Though the writers of the RSV and the NIV have translated the Hebrew correctly, they have fallen into the into a dilemma. How could, quote, from ancient days refer to Jesus since he is allegedly God and God exists before ancient days? God is eternal without beginning. Micah 5 4 RSV says, and they shall dwell. Secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. This first means that Messiah will be bring peace and security to the world, as it stated in Isaiah 2 4. But if these verses if this verse is referring to Jesus, why did he not bring peace? Even more important is the fact that Jesus said he came not to bring peace but a sword. Matthew ten thirty four. But the really crucial verse is Micah five six, which says, Thus shall he deliver us from the Assyrians when he cometh into our land. If any verse proves that ch- that, that proves the fifth chapter of Micah has nothing to do with Jesus. This is it. In the first place, Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, was destroyed, and the Assyrian power ceased to exist. 606, 606 years before Jesus was born. Or is it 616? Or is it 666? I don't know, just make a number and throw it in there, right? secondly Jesus never became a military leader thirdly the Romans not the Assyrians conquered the land of Judah during the lifetime of Jesus Jesus struggled with with Romans not not the Assyrians and lastly Jesus did not drive out anyone especially the Romans on the contrary they signed a warrant for his execution more will be said in subsequent issues in BE about other, quote, surefire prophecies of Jesus. Apologists often accuse other opponents of taking verses out of context, yet that's precisely what they did in Micah 5. Biblical inerrancy. On page 23, and reasons skeptics should consider Christianity, McDowell and Stewart provide a list of eight commonly given reasons for believing the Bible is inherent. 
the evidence that the very words of the Bible are God-given may be briefly summarized as follows. One, this is the claim of the classical text, 2 Timothy 3.16. Two, it is the emphatic testimony of Paul that spoke that he spoke in words taught by the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 2.13. Three, it is evident from the repeated formula, quote, it is written in the quote. For Jesus said that which was written in the whole Old Testament spoke of him, Luke 24.27. And 44, John 5.39, Hebrews 10.7. Five, the New Testament coincidentally equates the word of God with scripture, Matthew 21.42, Romans 15.4. 6. Jesus indicated that not even the smallest part of the Hebrew word of letter could be broken. Matthew 5.16. 7. New Testament refers to written records as the, quote, oracles of God, end quote. Romans 3.2. Hebrews 5.12. 8. And occasionally the writers were even told to diminish not a word. It's like uh, Jeremiah 26.2. John even pronounced an anathema upon all who would add to or diminish from this book. The fallacy in this above lies in the fact that all eight reasons are making the same point in different words. The Bible is the inspire is inspired because it says so, which of course is no proof whatever. Many writings in history have claimed divine perfection, but no prudent observer would accept them on the basis alone. McDowell and Stewart acknowledged as much as one page of tough questions skeptics ask. The Bible claims to be a record of the words and deeds of God. Thus, the Bible views itself as God's word. The mere fact that the Bible claims to be the word of God does not prove that it is such. For there are other books that make the similar claims. The Resurrection in tough questions, skeptics ask McDowell and Stewart attempt to answer the following questions. How do you explain the contradictions in the resurrection story? Their response is almost as unbelievable as the resurrection itself. They state a common objective to the, the resurrection is that the four gospel narratives contain hopeless contradictions. If the four accounts were placed in parallel columns, a number of apparent differences would be highlighted. However, these apparent differences ultimately confirm the truthfulness of these accounts, rather than refute them if all four Gospels have ex exactly the same story in exactly the same order with exactly the same details, we would immediately become suspicious. 
On the contrary, wisdom dictates that one becomes suspicious when they don't agree. Suspicious or not, if contradictions are to be avoided, they must give the same account. How contradictions hidden under the euphemisms of differences confirm truthfulness and agreement is difficult to fathom. McDowell and Stewart continue, it is quite clear that all of the Gospels relate their portraits of Jesus differently. This is what we should expect. No four witnesses or news reporters all of whom witness a series of events, will write them up in exactly the same way in details to details. If they did, there would be obvious collusion. And you can find that throughout the news media today. It's overwhelming. Whether it's Spokane, Washington, or I don't know. Miami, Florida, and every place in between, they all have the same headlines. They're so lazy they can't even make up their own words for it. If there ever was collusion going on, it's from our main, main mainstream media. Every time I have appeared on a radio, some caller has invariably made this quote, witnesses of a, at a car accident, a quote, argument, which is no proof at all. Contending people always give conflicting reports of uh, traffic accidents. doesn't resolve anything. When there are contradictions, somebody isn't telling the truth, and that's all that matters. When witnesses say... When witness A says there were four people in the northbound car, and witness B says there are two, then witness A, when witness A says the accident happened at two o'clock, and witness B says three, somebody's wrong. Collisions isn't even the issue. Whether it exists is of no consequence. All that matters is whether or not the stories agree. They either do or they don't. McDowell and Stewart's apologetic continues. If the differences concerned the main points of the story, then there would be justification for doubt. But when the salient point points are agreed upon by every witness, insignificant differences add to rather than subtract from the validity. Any kind of differences, major or minor, couldn't possibly add to a story's validity. But even more important is the fact that the accounts differ in nearly every major aspect. They do not agree on who went to the tomb when they arrived, who was there, the status of the tomb, and so on. McDowell and Stewart then state, quote, it should be noted too, 
that none of the details necessarily flatly contradicts any others. But in some plausible way, they correlate together to supply the large picture, end of quote. If they really believed this, then I would challenge them to write one consistent narrative incorporating all four Gospels' accounts. The details are wholly incompatible and only confuse the overall picture. They continue. One of the seeming contradictions that bothers people concerns the time the women came to the tomb. Related differently by John and Mark, Mark's account has the woman woman coming to the tomb at the rising of the sun, while John states that Mary Magdalene came to the tomb when it was dark. This difficulty is solved when it is realized that the women had walked quite some distance to reach the grave since they stayed in Jerusalem which since they stayed in Jerusalem or Bethany. It was dark when they left the place in which they were staying. But when they arrived at the tomb how far was that tomb again? Anyways from Bethany and Jerusalem, that's a good question. But when they arrived at the tomb, the sun was beginning to shine. Therefore, Mark is speaking of their arrival, while John refers to their departure. Therefore, Mark is speaking of their arrival, while John refers to their departure. McDonald and Stewart are apparently having difficulty reading the English language, so... For their benefit, I will quote the exact words of John, of Mark and John. Quote, And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. Mark 16.2 The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher. John Twenty-one. Clearly, both accounts are referring to the time of their arrival, and their time of departure is of no consequence. Dialogue and debate. Letter 17 from J.S. of Santa Barbara, California. J.S. This is not S.J., huh? Dear Dennis, in reading your Biblical Errancy periodical, issue 2, February 1983, I found some glaring mistakes in your line of reasoning. For example, in your explanation of the apologist, you claim that, quote, the witnesses at the, at the end, an auto accident argument is quite irrelevant since two diametrically opposed and mutually exclusive Exclusive versions of the same event cannot be simultaneously accurate. One or the other is false. That's all S.J. said on the matter. Editor response to letter 17. Yes, S. Or just S.J. J.S. said. Yes, J.S. I did make such a statement. 
So where is my mistake? Question mark. You forgot to say where I allegedly erred. I stand behind the statement always well. 17 continues. Furthermore, you claim that Matthew 8, 1 and 2 supports the theory that the tomb was closed when arrived. This, in fact, is not the case. The tomb is not even mentioned in either version. In your own line of reasoning, therefore, your periodical are more directly verse more directly you, excuse me, must be a a fallible, valuable, fallible, valuable, valuable uh, source, fallible sources, which I say. And hence I should not use your quote version in a quote because it is false. Perhaps you will claim that it is at quote copious error in a quote, in which case you owe an apology to the apologist or moreover to the archer to this archer fellow. This is because in four years I have taught physics at college level. I have learned that it is at least as likely, if not more likely, to confuse forty thousand with 4,000, then 28 with 8. Editor's response, do you realize what you have done? J.S. You have written an entire letter because I made a typing error in my February issue. You are correct. Matthew 8, verses 1 and 2, does not support the theory that the tomb was, quote, closed when arrived in the quote. But Matthew twenty eight, one and two does. My type is left off the two on the number twenty eight. So what are you trying to prove? That I'm fallible fallible? Of course I am. Do you know anyone who isn't? You've never claimed infallibility. But the Bible does, as I stated on the last issue, in June 1983, of biblical errors, the Bible is under the microscope, not its critics. It's claiming perfection. They aren't. The context of Matthew 8, 1, 2, in February's issue clearly shows Matthew 28.1.2 was intended. Have you criticized, Have I criticized you, J.S., because you misspelled explanation and capitalized physics and omitted the the in front of the word college? Moreover, you falsely stated, I have a version, in quotes, in truth, I analyzed the versions of others but I don't advocate one of my own. What is my version, end of quote? Question mark. I'd be interested in knowing, since every version in existence has hundreds of problems. You read my entire second issue, only to mention one typing error. 
If that is the best you can do, J.S., you have pathetic, practically endorsed the February issue. Okay. Letters to the editor. Letter number 18 from N.S. of Richmond, Indiana. Dear Dennis, first, here's my $3 for six issues of B.E., I think it's wonderful. I'm an agnostic or atheist or whatever you wish to call me, but I have had problems answering some of my Christian friends' arguments. I've always known that they were wrong and actually have pity on people who will not question what they read in the Bible. That's what first got me started. I never even opened a Bible till four or five years ago. And the more I read, the more I was astonished at the double talk and downright filth. I'm grateful to my parents who weren't religious that they that they weren't. Therefore, I was able to see through this garbage. I must call it this, for I had not been conditioned all my life. Incidentally, I'm no child. I'm 55. As you say, millions are only getting one side of the story. And what a pitiful story it is. Thanks again for something that's needed. Editor's response to letter 18. I see you agree with Thomas Paine, N.S., quote, garbage, and a quote, filth, and, and double talk. Remind me of some of his comments. Quote, yet this is trash that the church imposes upon the world as the word of God. This is the collection of lies and contradictions called the Holy Bible. This is the rubbish called revealed religion. And the quote, The Life and Works of Thomas Paine, volume 9, page 201. Quote, But if thou, thou trust to the book called the Scriptures, thou trust to the rotten staff of fable and falsehoods. And the quote, Life and Works of Thomas Paine, volume 9, page 248. Letter 19. From S.S. of Vienna, Virginia. I have been, I have long been aware of God's atrocities in the Bible. If people will only take the trouble to read the damned thing and let it speak for itself, then there could be no lingering doubt that the so called Word of God, and a quote, is among the most profane and repulsive collections of writings ever to exist. I refer to the human sacrifice of Leviticus, Judges, and Second Samuels, the sanctioning of slavery in Exodus and Leviticus, the selling of one's daughter, the killing of witches, and the death of heresy, death for heresy, and violating the Sabbath all to be found in Exodus. And for all those Bible-thumping sexists out there, 
for unchastity at the time of marriage, a penalty imposed only upon women. Deuteronomy 22:20-21. Maybe we should look at that. What the heck? You know, I probably sound like a liberal. If you've know me, uh, I'm far from being a liberal. <laughs> I just don't give. You know what? I haven't been given too many breaks in my life. Why the hell should I give any? Uh, you know this? Any breaks? Especially if we're talking about the Word of God is far more important than me. Piddly on me. And I've seen the behavior of so many people that call themselves Christians. Including myself. It's so unremark- unremarkable. If anything's worth being commented on is how pathetic the behavior actually is towards each other. Why is that? It's because our heads full of nonsense. We don't realize it. We're judging each other based on faulty information and fallacies. This is here, uh, Deuteronomy 22, 20, 21. But if this thing be true, and the tokens of virginity be not found for the damsel, then they shall bring out the damsel to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her with stones, that she die, because she hath wrought folly in Israel to play the whore in her father's house. So shalt thou put evil away from among you. Well, you know, but you go a step further. If a man found lying with a woman married to an husband so if a man if a man be found lying with a woman married to a husband then they shall both of them die both the man that lay with the woman and the woman so shalt thou put away evil from Israel if a damsel that is a virgin be betrothed unto a husband, and a man find her in the city, and lie with her, then ye shall bring them both out unto the gate of that city, and ye shall stone them with stones, that they die. The damsel, because she cried not, being in the city, and the man, because he hath humbled his neighbor's wife, so thou shalt put away evil from among you. But if a man find a betrothed damsel in a field with the man force and the man force her and lie with her, then the man only that lie with her is shall die. But unto the damsel thou shalt do nothing. There is in the damsel no sin worthy of death. For as when a man rises against his neighbor and slayeth him, even so is this matter. For he founded her in the field, 
and betrothed, and the betrothed damsel cried, and there was none to save her. Now, how do you get, how are you going to improve that? Yeah, this is crazy. So nobody's around, and so the lady, you know, this, how many guys have been set up by money grubbing bitches, groomed their lives doing that stuff? Stupid. If a mind found it, that is a virgin, which is not betrothed. And the man that lay with her shall give unto the damsel's father. Look this. If a man find a damsel that is a virgin, which is not betrothed, and lay hold on her, and lie with her, and they be found, then the man that lay with her shall give unto the damsel's father fifty shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife, because he hath humbled her, and may not put her away all his days. A man shall not take his father's wife, nor discover his father's skirt. Here's the crazy one. He that is wounded in the stones, being his balls, and hath his privy members cut off, being his penis, shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Here's another one. A bastard shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to his tenth generation shall he not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Oh, well, ten generations, huh? This is real forgiveness, isn't it? An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. And you're going to tell me that the Jews of today and the ancient Israelites of the past we're the most racist group of people that ever lived on the planet and aren't. The weight of evidence is not on your side. Because they meet you not with bread and with water in the way when you came forth out of Egypt, because they hired against the Balaam, the son of Beor, Tithor uh, of Mesopotamia to curse thee. Like everybody that was a, a Amorite and a, a or Ammonite and a, a Moabite was involved with this. The, I mean, how many of us have been involved in even the Donald Trump or let's say past eight years with uh, the alleged CEO of the corporation of the District of Columbia, a Sodomite married to a Looks like a sodomite and married to a trans tranny. Were you given any choice in the matter or any of that stuff? How about what's going on in uh, Syria? I remember uh, writing to my congressman and said, you know, you better not be involved with this. You better not be killing those innocent people. I got one crazy letter back from him. You realize. Joe Blow from Timbuktu or from Spokane or 
whatever, you know, whatever it might be, you know what I mean? Other little towns throughout the United States, and you realize we have no say in anything? Most of us don't even have to say in the job we're going to end up with, let alone who's going to be the president of the United States or who the congressman is going to be, your local congressman or woman. So blame a whole a group of people because of the behavior of the leadership or a group of them? Sounds to me a little ethnocentric, a little, a, a little racist, if we're honest about it. I have to be honest with you. Reading the Old Testament, the people of God suck. I'm not saying God does. I'm saying the people of God, they suck. They are repulsive, racist, ethnocentric, misogynist, evil, wicked group of people. And I'm supposed to go, oh, yay. Thou shalt not seek their peace nor their prosperity all thy days forever. Thou shalt not arbor the Edomite, for he is thy brother. Thou shalt not arbor the Egyptian, because thou wast a stranger in his land. The children that are begotten of them shall enter into the congregation of the Lord in their third generation. So they don't have to wait till ten generations. They can wait till the third generation. It's just totally screwy is what it is. When the host goes forth against the enemy, then keep thee from every wicked thing. If there be among you any man that is not clean by reason of uncleanness, that chances him by night, chaseth him, I guess chanceth him by night, then shall he go abroad out of the camp, and he shall not come within the camp. What does that mean? Does it mean that he like they did some sodomite thing? I don't know. But it shall be when evening cometh on, he shall wash himself with water, and when the sun come down, he shall come into the uh, camp again. Oh, goodness gracious. Thou shalt have a place also without a camp, whether thou shalt go forth and abroad. And thou shalt have paddle upon thy weapon, and it shall be, when thou wilt ease thyself abroad, thou shalt dig there, therewith, and thou shalt turn back and cover that which cometh from thee. What does that mean? We're talking about you need a paddle for you to, to, to scoop the land so you can take a poop in it? Just talking about how, how you're supposed to take a poop? For the Lord thy God walketh in the midst of thy camp to deliver thee and to go up thine enemies before thee. Therefore thou shalt camp, shall the camp be holy 
that he see no unclean thing of thee and turn away from thee. So God who made us, made us to poop and to pee and all the other stuff that comes out of us, he can't stand looking at our poop any more than we can. And he's offended by our poop. Really? Really? And thou shalt not deliver unto thy master the servant which is escaped from his master unto thee. He shall dwell with thee even among you in the place which he shall choose in one of thy gates, where it is liketh him best. Thou shalt not oppress him. There shall be no whore of the daughters of Israel nor sodomite of the sons of Israel. Thou shalt be not, thou shalt not bring the hire of a whore or of the price of a dog into the house of the Lord. Thy God for any vow, for even both these are abominations unto the Lord. So a dog and a whore. And was it, does the whore have sex with the dog? Bestiality here? I don't know. Thou shalt not lend, uh, lean upon usury to thy brother. Usury of money, usury of victuals, usury of anything that is lent upon usury. Unto a stranger thou mightest lend upon usury. But unto thy brother thou shalt not lend upon usury. Now we're getting to the point here now about uh, what's going on with us with the bankers. That the Lord God may bless thee in all thy that thou settest thine hand in the land whether thou goest to possess. Ah, uh, curiosity. Let's look what. Uh, I don't know if I can find it. I'm certainly no expert at this book. Let's see what this book has to say if I can get to it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I don't know. Well, this is uh, the Quran. We'll see what it has to say. Uh, ranks of wrestles, spending in charity, Allah's attributes, and ayat al kursai. There is no compulsion in religion. Wali friend Allah versus Wali friends. Shaitan, and I guess it'd be Satan. Confrontation of Ibrahim and the king Nabrod. Examples of bringing dead to life. Abram's question of life after death. The parable of spending and charity. What maketh charity worthless? Charity versus showing off. Spending the best portion of your wealth. Allah promise versus Shaitan's promise. Giving charity in public and private. 
who is eligible for charity, reward for charity, prohib- uh, prohib- prohibition of usury. Well, that's a good thing. Prohibition of usury. Taking usury is like declaring war against Allah and his Rasul. All business dealings must be reduced to writing, loans, debts, and buying on credit. Witnesses are required at all transactions. If writing is not possible, take a security deposit, pledge, and mortgage. Allah will call to account. True belief of prophets and Muslims believers a supplication. Don't ask me. See, I have no idea. Part two. Part two. Two. I don't know where I get this. Two seven. Two. That's not. I get. That doesn't make any sense. Part four. See part three. Part two. Get this. This Quran. I'm gonna try to figure it out. It's got kind of interesting kind of thing of Majiga going on too. One ninety six. See what is it? Okay, let's see. Try two twenty seven. So I don't want to hear about what the Quran is. Say, I'd rather hear what that Bible had to say. Except when you started reading the truth out of it, you you shouldn't have talked about. Shoveling people's poop. What you should do is some virgin accuses you of raping her, exploiting her, or she exploiting you. It's two seventy five. I don't know if there is a 275. Well, dang. Dang, da dang, da dang, da dang, Talk about a hard book to read. Anyways, where are we at with all of this? I just wanted to check out uh, Deuteronomy 22 verses 2021. Penalty imposed only upon women. Which is not that's that's but of course that was verses twenty one and twenty and twenty one, and put as you further go on, even uh, this particular uh, publication seemed to miss the fact that how men are being treated and outsiders are being treated, and how God cares about their poop, seeing your poop, you defended by the poop. Well, he made his poopers, so why did he be offended of it? And so far as the New Testament is concerned, it is a compendium, compendium of both historical and logical contradictions. Read S.G.F. Brandon, Joel Carmichael, or G.A. Wells, filled with paganism and old-time superstition. Easter is the name after the old goddess of spring, Ishtar. Christmas falls upon the winter solstice, 
which is when the Saturnalia was formally celebrated. I could go on and on, as any good amateur biblical critic could do. The point is that more a more carefully one reads the Bible, the more absurd and utterly ridiculous it becomes. Anyone who believes that the Bible is the word of some God cannot claim to be at all rational. And you can you can accuse me of that. I can you know, I look at my journey and how you know desperate my situation has been. You know, grabbing at something, grabbing for something, something to be real, help me get through another day. To paraphrase Clarence Dowry, and what future is there in store for mankind if there is to be this disdain of rationality? And the thing is, too, is to get this, this false dichotomy, this false choice. Well, you got to be a Christian, or you got you got to be an atheist. Either you got to follow Richard Dawkins, or you got to follow everything in the Word of God. Could it be possible that Rich Dawson is wrong about a lot of things, just as Michael Adams is, and you, and and the people that wrote this book, that wrote this book, the many people who wrote this book, could be wrong. Please enter my subscription for six months. Please keep up the excellent work you are doing. This country needs more free-thinking, independent-minded people like you. It is any wonder that the Bible warns that, quote, the simple believe anything, Proverbs fourteen fifteen. Indeed, it takes a simple mind to swallow such worn-out fables and mythology as are found in the unholy as can be Bible. And the cruel situation is, you know, like, like I see, it's like, well, what are you going to do, Mike? If the Bible's not true, what do I do? Do I join the Freemasons? Do I become a Roman Catholic or a Muslim or anything like that? I mean, that's not how we've become so brainwashed. We can't... But then again, I understand what it means to be... to try your best to be a independent thinker, which is very difficult to be. And I would not claim myself to be that person. I will tell you one thing, though. The challenges of free thought and being a free man in this oppressive society, that culture that we live in, is just that, a great deal of challenge. And many of us, if we're not bored into wealth and aren't, have been given, you know, you know uh, at least an eight to a, you know, eight in the looks compartment uh, or department, I, whatever you want to call it, you know we're screwed. Most guys like myself, my age, we're just I'm, I'm, uh, and you know a loser by the world standards. And so one grasps to things in the past, uh, of religion, of uh, hope, history, knowledge, stuff to fill your head, so that you don't have to focus and look at the the dreadful situation that you actually are in yourself. situation is you have little to no use to anybody. And that's the way it is. 
So uh, I think I'm going to end this recording. I've gone quite long. And there's so much stuff to talk about. I could talk about things all day long, really. Uh, I think there's enough food for thought here. And, uh, Andrew, if you're still there, thank you for listening. Uh, I just, still my hope is in my Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. And, um, but it's certainly not in a book. And it's not in the Israelites. And it's not in the Jews. And it's not in all the, uh, the mistakes. And a book written by man. Uh, if I have any faith in Christ, as, as, um, and at least in Heavenly Father, and that I need a Savior, it's because my own personal experience is with Him, my walk with God. And um, so I don't know what to say to anybody, but there's an awful lot of. Just, we just, our heads are just full of so much crap. God bless and take care. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.